0: Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz I want to welcome you to the WapakNAS podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is Love People, Loving People to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message.
1: So last time I was here, um, I honored someone um, for their how they did at the regional special Olympics. And well, apparently yesterday was state special Olympics. And so Alex Hunter, could you stand up? Cause he got another medal at, for skills basketball. He's great. I love him. <laughs> He's so humble too. Uh, uh, so COVID, who remembers COVID? was that? (laughs) Um, COVID uh, seemed to have taught me, or maybe helped me realize something I already knew, but it seemed to have taught me one thing. And it was the importance of being with community, being with other people, being an embodied version of yourself with those that are around you. I mean, studies have also been showing that that mental health had severely decreased during lockdowns. It had shown that being isolated and separated from one another was actually really bad for our our mental health, Um, as much as of a 25% increase in, in anxiety and depression just across the board. And I've been kind of thinking then, that is there a way that, our isolation during COVID might still be having an effect on us, as if there's something a part of our culture and our society that is still saying that it is okay to be isolated, that it's okay not to be with people. immediately started to think of our digital technology that we have. Our ability to, to pull out a phone or something and just immediately text someone, send them a message, hey, how you doing? Which is great for situations like Kenna and I where we live two hours away from each other most of the year. But is that convenience and that simplicity actually beneficial? Beneficial is the convenience of not having to put in the work to go see the people that mean the most to you. Is it worth it? And actually, we've had, I've had a lot of similar conversations to this, to this topic um, in my missional church leadership class of what does it look like for the church and technology? What does that relationship look like? What should it look like? How does it look like now? Is it good or is it bad? And it makes me think, then, of Jesus' life. If Jesus was in our, in, our, in our context, do we think that Jesus would pull out his phone and FaceTime the woman at the well? The woman at the well that he specifically went the long route to get back to Nazareth, the long and harder route. When Jesus said, I have to go see someone, he didn't have to take that route to get back from Jerusalem up to the Sea of Galilee. Because traditionally, the quickest, well, not the quickest, it was actually a lot slower, but it was a lot less dangerous, was to go down, down east, sorry, my directions are off right now, down east from Jerusalem towards the, the, the river, the Jordan River, and head up north through the Jordan Valley, and then go into the Jezreel Valley, and then up to the Sea of Galilee. But the way that Jesus took to find this woman at the well, he went north through the mountains. Jerusalem sits in the middle of the central hill country, which is just really mountainous. It was really fun going in and out of Jerusalem when, uh, when I was there over the summer. But then to actually travel by foot up and down mountains for days. It was not fun. That's why the, the preferred route was the slower, yet more gradual decline into the Jordan Valley. Would Jesus have whipped out his phone and FaceTimed the woman at the well? during these conversations I always have in my head that Jesus was present. And I'm not thinking of it as an argument for, for whatever topic we're having about being present with our churches and our context and our communities. But rather, it's just in my head constantly that Jesus was present. Jesus was on the earth. The Son of God was on the earth. I don't think we realize how astronomically magnificent that is. That the God of all creation who stands out time outside of time and space was willing to come down on the earth to be imprisoned by time and by space. The difference between, I was, I was on my way here, I was listening uh, to WBCL and the song Another in the Fire came on. And I got to thinking about that song and, and, and that story about um, Reshach, Meshach, and Abendigo. About the difference between Jesus on the earth during his ministry versus what we perceive to be Jesus in the fire. That in an instant, there was another in the fire standing next to them. the difference between the simple the simple route of being with those three men in the fire versus coming to earth as a helpless babe as we sang today to be born of a virgin to live a life for 33 years before eventually dying but resurrecting we're supposed to be present as Jesus was present. Jesus was indeed fully God. We read this um, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. This little poem that Paul seemed to have written uh, to the church in Philippi, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, the most humiliating death that you could have experienced in that context. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, That the name of Jesus, Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to glory of God the Father. Jesus was truly human as well. So much so that he didn't take his equality with God. The the same powers and authority that the Father had, the Son also had. But he, he gave all that up so that he could come down to earth to be with us. Because it could have been real simple, real convenient for God to just everything's fixed now. The world's not broken anymore. There's no more sin. Everybody loves each other the same way. But how can there be reconciliation if annihilation took place first? If everything was destroyed and there was no memory for us of, of the story that we were once broken and God picked us up and rescued us and brought us to where he w- He'd always created us to be, where's that story of reconciliation? The journey of God's rescuing to be taken as we, as we were and brought to where God wants us to be. How can there be any reconciliation if there is annihilation? But because God is for us and he is for the fact that he wants us to have free will, to choose to love God God came down, and He sent us love. He sent us reconciliation instead of annihilation. He sent His his Son down to experience what it meant to be human, to save us, to save all of creation, and to embody the very presence and being of God on earth. We read then in Luke chapter 4, 18 and 19, Jesus is at the synagogue in, in Nazareth, his hometown, where he begins, he's asked, he's asked to read something out of the, the scroll of Isaiah, and he's asked to give a little exhortation about it. And so he says in verse, verses 18 and 19, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus' embodiment wasn't just for, for the entire created world to have salvation, but to also bring something to the oppressed that they had never experienced, justice, To bring love and compassion to the people that had never experienced it in their societies. We're called to be like Jesus. And if that means that we're called to be like Jesus, and Jesus was embodied and present with those that were around him, what does that mean for us? How should the church then interact with the world? How should the church act in regards to where we find ourselves? Normally, the Sunday school answer would be to be the hands and feet of Jesus. But as I thought about that phrase this, um, this past week, I began to wonder, do we even know what we're saying? Like, what, what does that phrase actually mean, to be the hands and feet of Jesus? Does that mean some of us are, are the thumb? Other of us might be the big toe. You never know. Maybe you are actually just the little wiggle room between the pinky toe and the next toe over. But I don't think it's that. I don't think that the phrase to be the hands and feet of Jesus means a, a literal interpretation of Jesus' physiology. Before, before I kind of get more into that, we need, to, we need to acknowledge and keep this at. Um, the front of our brain the rest, the rest of this conversation, that this calling to be the hands and feet of Jesus is for every single one of us. It's not just for the person sitting next to you or in the church down the road or even the head pastor at, the, at your local church. Every single one of us is called to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be the embodiment of Jesus on the earth until his return. We, we get this idea from, from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 27. Let's see if I can find it. I was going to read it off the back, but we're having some technical difficulties today. But that is A-OK. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Each one of you has a part to partake in the body of Christ. Each and every single one of us has a role. Each and every single one of us has a purpose within the church and for those around us. We are all called to embody Christ, who embodied God in the physical, to bring the kingdom of God to earth every day. As we see in the Lord's Prayer, bring Lord, sorry, our Father who art in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. This is not just us asking God, do it, But it's asking God to empower us to do it, to be agents of the kingdom, to bring the kingdom of God, to bring love and compassion and justice to the areas we find ourselves in. As I was talking with Stephen this past week about the sermon, um, he was helping me kind of process some stuff. He said, don't just speak in theory, because once I go back to school, I kind of think that way, because that's kind of what they teach us. But offer practical advice. Offer some practice that we could find in the, um, in the Bible that we can begin to live out ourselves. So I chose, chose three things that I think were essential to Jesus' ministry and something that we can, we can witness within the, the early church. The first thing is how we treat the foreigner or the stranger. The people that we don't know or the people whose whereabouts are different than our own. Giving to the poor and visiting the sick. As, as we talk about then, what it means to treat the foreigner or the stranger, I immediately thought of a story found in Acts, chapters 10 and 11, and part of chapter 12 as well. I'm not going to go through the entire story. That's, that's a long time, and I'm getting hungry. so to set the stage the early church they're growing they're exploding with growth every day they're adding more and more believers to their count this is after after um, paul's conversion after um, uh, persecution explodes in jerusalem and everyone has left jerusalem except the apostles well one day this roman military official named cornelius he gets a vision from God. Uh, the, the scripture tells us that his entire house is God-fearing. What that probably means is that he was, he was already observing some uh, Jewish customs. He was already believing in their God. But God reaches down to him through a vision and says, Hey, there's a guy in a town called Joppa. Joppa is along the Mediterranean. Um, it's a little further north than where Cornelius lived. I think it said uh, Caesarea. Uh, there's a man there named Peter who lives in a tanner's house. I want you to go find him and bring him back. So he's like, okay, hey guys, go get him for me. So some men get sent to go find him. Well, at the same time, Peter is actually having his own vision. He's standing on the rooftop of, of the house that he's staying at, looking out. Um, in my mind, you know, he's. it's probably along the coast because the Mediterranean is beautiful. He's standing out there looking towards the ocean. When all of a sudden, this big white sheet comes down from heaven. And it says, in it is every type of animal, both clean and unclean to the Jewish customs. Animals that that Peter would be able to eat and animals Peter would not be able to eat according to Jewish law. Then a voice comes out and says, Peter kill and eat. Kill and Peter's eat. taken back. He's probably thinking that, oh, this is just an Abraham situation. I'm being tested because he's like, oh, no lord, I would never eat anything impure. The voice calls back out to him and says, "Do not call anything impure that I have made clean." This happens 3 times and at the end of it after the third time, the the sheet gets pulled back into heaven or into the heavens and at that very same moment, the men come that Cornelius had sent. And so he's sitting there on the rooftop thinking about what in the world just happened. When the men come and say, hey, uh, Cornelius sent us to come get you. We need to go back. So they leave the next morning. And he preaches. He preaches the gospel. He talks about the entire history of the Jewish people. And he talks about how Jesus then fits into that story as as the one who has come to, to save all of us from our sins and to, to provide healing and restoration to relationships and what it means to be human. So at the end of it then, the entire household, starting with Cornelius, gets baptized. Chapter 12 then, Peter's getting pretty much intero- interrogated by the rest of the church saying, whoa, you went to a Gentile's house. And you you ate with them, which is a big no-no in Jewish culture in the first century because their whole identity was to keep the identity pure, which means don't interact with other people in private settings. Peter tells them of this vision, and he says, basically, who am I to stand in the way of God? Who am I to stand in the way of God's magnificent glory and power, to reach out to every single human? Why are we trying to say that Jesus only came for us. We see time and time again in Jesus' ministry that he wasn't just visiting or being present with Jewish people, but he was with all people. God desires to be with all people, regardless of where they come from or, or their background or their history. No matter what you've done in the past, God desires to be with you. And as the church, who are we to say, no, I don't think you will fit in here? As the church, who are we to say, oh, I think you should go somewhere else? If God is bringing us people to love, shouldn't we be loving them? Just as Cornelius' men was brought to Peter in the hopes that Peter would respond in faith to bring love and compassion in the gospel to Gentiles, to bring, to Roman Gentiles, people that were actively persecuting the Jewish people, who were actively occupying their homeland. Who was Peter to stand in the way of God and his, and his love? And isn't it enough for us to let go of our, our ideals? Isn't it enough for us to let go of who we think belongs in the church? If God says that all people should be loved, shouldn't we be loving everybody? The second thing, giving to the poor. I first want to take us to Acts chapter 20, verse 35. Um in this, Paul is uh, about to be leaving from Yes. He's about to be leaving from the Ephesus church, departing Uh, the town or the city of Ephesus to head to um, some more areas. Um, God had called him to cross the, um, I forget which sea, but he called, God God called Paul and said, hey, there's more people I want you to come talk to. And he's like, okay, let's do it. So he's giving a little speech to to the church there in Ephesus. Oh, I've missed, there we go, my bad. I'm, there there we go, okay. Giving to the poor, Paul, and everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's better to give than to receive. I see this a lot, usually at, um, at Christmas or around um, Kenna's birthday, even when she knows what the gift is, because I'm really bad with secrets, um... I'm like ninety three percent sure she knew I was gonna propose to her when I did. um I'm that bad, no, I'm serious um but but no matter what seeing Kenna's face when she opens whatever gift it was that I gave her <laughs> seeing her face and the joy that she has, the way her eyes light up about this just the gratitude and and her knowing that I know what she needs and what she wants and that I'm willing to be giving it to her and just seeing the smile form across her face. Giving blesses us because it allows us to experience the joy and gratitude of other people. It's one thing for us to experience that, but to witness someone else that we truly care about or even people that we do not know To witness them experience joy and gratitude that something that they needed provided was provided for them is more of a blessing than receiving that. Jesus speaks more into this about what it means to give in Matthew chapter 19. Uh, In this story, Jesus is talking to a um, a rich man, depending on which gospel you look at, it could be a rich young man, it could be a rich ruler, or it could just be a rich man. So it just it depends. But anyway, so Jesus is talking to this guy. He comes up to him and he says, "Jesus, what must I do? What good thing must I do to receive eternal life?" Jesus responds to the man with, "Well, you should you should keep the commandments." Well, he's like, "Well, which ones?" So Jesus says, "Well." Oh, didn't write it down. Hang on, let me read it then. Oh, oh man, I am all scatterbrained today. This is really unfortunate for... So, there we go. That's actually not one I wanted. Oh, found it. I found it. We're We're doing great today. <laughs> so which ones which ones the young man replied Jesus replied you shall not murder you shall not commit adultery you shall not steal you shall not, shall not give false testimony honor your father your mo- and mother and love your neighbors as yourself the well, man responds with, oh, well I have done all of those and I imagine that he was quite um, happy about the fact that Jesus had named all the things that he had done because my mind if I hear that oh I've got eternal life already there we go Bada bing, bada boom. I'm good. But Jesus responds with a the, with the curveball. Well, if you have done all those things, if you want to be perfect, which is the verse that I did want up on the screen, Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Says then that the young man walked away sad because he had a great amount of wealth. He had all of this stuff, all of this money that he just had kept for himself. Meanwhile, I'm sure that this took place in some sort of town or city and that there is some sort, there is some sort of group of people who had not experienced what it meant to have something. They had not experienced justice or love or compassion because they were, they were struggling just to get food for the day. Giving was at the heart of Jesus' mission. Everything he did was an act of giving. When he heal, healed the sick, he gave them the chance at a new life with, with new health. He told his disciples to give to the, to the poor whenever they, had, whenever they were gifted something. He gave his life up for us that we might experience relationship with God. When, and when Paul ministered, as we see in Acts and um, other places, in most of his epistles, he's telling the churches to continue giving to the poor. Giving has always been at the heart of Jesus' ministry and at the p- heart of Paul's ministry. God didn't, Jesus didn't use his equality with God to his own advantage. He didn't use what he already had, but he gave it up. He gave it up and became a servant so that he could continue giving back to us, that we might experience love and compassion. You know, I think of, I think of our, our history as well as, as of the Nazarene church. The Nazarene church kind of grew out of uh, the Methodist church By a man named Phineas uh, Brzee. He lived out in uh, Los Angeles and he was just so, he was moved so much by what he had seen in Los Angeles all the hurt and the brokenness, the the alcoholism, the the drug abuse, the poverty, just the general inequality. And since our birth, the Nazarene Church has been all about giving back to the community to be giving to the poor, to help people out of those situations that they might find themselves in. So now not only are we seeing that in Scripture, and the lifestyle that we're called to live, but our own tradition as well has always had a mind for the poor, for those that were wanting something and needing something. We'd always, we're supposed to be filling into that role of what can I give you? The third thing, visiting, visiting the sick. Uh, COVID, freshman year, um, it was a really weird time. There was all kinds of protocols on, I think, pretty much every aspect of college life. Uh, chapel, we could only go to chapel uh, once a week, um, where you know it's supposed to be twice a week, it's uh, chapels open. Uh, the cafeteria, most of the time we were taking food to go because of, um, yeah, we we're supposed to be taking food to go because they couldn't let us be in the building to actually eat together because the, the numbers were so high. Uh, classes, if they weren't half and half, either half the time you were in person, half the time you were online, then it was completely online. And the craziest, most difficult thing was just dealing with COVID in general. First of all, Every week we had to spit in a little tiny tube so they could see if we had indicators for COVID. And then if you had COVID, you had to go home and then two weeks after symptoms were gone, then you could come back. And if you were near someone that had COVID, you had to go into quarantine for two weeks. I got put into quarantine a lot. Um, somehow never got COVID. We're going to keep praying that that happens. If you were in quarantine, you you had to stay in an apartment. Um, they had a few... Uh, sets of married housing on campus, and so they evicted everybody that was married and said, "This is our quarantine housing." Yeah, it was. That's also kind of weird. Um, so there were three bedrooms in each apartment, one person to each bedroom. You weren't allowed to leave unless you had used the bathroom or to pick up the food that the school delivered to you. It was great. But I had some great friends. I um, Kenna did it as well when uh, she had attended Mount Vernon. Um, but they would come and visit me. They would just come and sit on the lawn in front of my apartment, and we'd open a window, and we would just talk. We would hang out. And it was, those moments were usually what made quarantine bearable, knowing that I had people in my life that were willing to come and visit me, It would have been just as easy to call me or FaceTime me and say, hey, how you doing? Is there anything I can get for you? But it was another thing for them to completely go out of their way to come and see me. And I'm I'm sure you guys also have stories about when you were sick or in the hospital and when people came and visited you. Just imagine the joy you felt in that moment knowing that people cared enough to go out of their way to come and see you. And if we appreciate that joy and that gratitude so much, then shouldn't we also be giving it to others? Don't we want other people to experience that joy as well? Uh, The fifth chapter of James, James kind of talks on this subject a little bit about dealing with the sick in their community. And verse 14, Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. If if we're trying to do that online, how are you anointing someone with oil? Because the last time I checked, you can't have something in the digital come through the screen and now it's the physical. <laughs> Stephen says that would be sweet. <laughs> How are we supposed to anoint people and pray over them with the laying of hands, as other, other um, New Testament writings tell us, to lay hands on those that are sick and to pray for them? How are we supposed to do that if we are not present, if we're not an embodiment not of just Jesus, but of ourselves, how can we do, how can we visit people if we don't actually go to them? How can we give them the joy that we once experienced when people came to visit us if we don't go and visit them ourselves? visiting or treating the foreigner and the stranger with love, giving to the poor, visiting the sick. Those are just three of countless ways that Jesus was embodied and present with compassion in his ministry. Those are just three out of countless that we ourselves can be called into. But more often than not, I find that the Spirit will speak to you in the moment, and he'll show you... Who it is that needs your presence, needs your love. But why does, all, why does any of this matter? I know we, I talked earlier about, well, because Jesus was an embodiment of, of God on the earth, and we're called to step into that role until his return. But what if we don't? What happens if we don't step into that role and we don't bring compassion and love and mercy? to those around us. Matthew 25, um, Jesus kind of speaks into this with His disciples. Um, it's Towards the end of His ministry, uh, he's, he's being asked a question of from His disciples, and they ask, like, what's going to happen when you return? That's basically what the question is. Like, what, what should we be expecting to happen when you come back? And so he tells us, um, verses 34 to 40, then the king will say to those on his right, he's going to separate them into two piles, one on his right, one on his left, the right the sheep, and the left the goats. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. My kingdom prepare, The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And clothe you. When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whoever did for the for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So now Jesus is saying that we're not the only ones who embody Jesus. But the poor, the oppressed, the sick, those in prison, those who have nothing, those are also an embodiment of Jesus. Because as Jesus was on the earth, he experienced everything that it meant to be human. And so as he fills that experiences and knows what that means, now Jesus is present in those people's lives and they don't even know it. And so now when we are embodying the church, giving to those who have nothing or, or visiting the sick or treating the foreigner or the stranger as one of our own, we're doing that to Jesus. We're showing love and compassion not to just those people, but also to Jesus. The actions we take now, they add up down the road. The actions that we take now mean something. Not just for this present age, but for new creation as well. When, when Jesus comes back and all of creation is restored, those actions add up to something. However, it is not that our actions save us. It's not that we do it for ourselves, but we do so out of compassion and out of service to give to others What has been given to us? I just want to read real quick from James. This is this is the last passage. I promise. I know it's a lot. From from James chapter two, Uh, the author of James, James, uh, he's speaking into this about this balance of faith and works. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? What good does it do for that person to say, well, I hope you, I hope you get fed, I hope you get clothed, if you just don't do anything about it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. It's not that our, our actions is our, our faith. But it's the way that we show the rest of the world that we have one God who is all-powerful and almighty, who, who is full of love and compassion and, and wants to have a relationship with us, wants to love us, wants to break us from, from whatever bondages we find ourselves in. And he wants to do that by the people around them, by the people within the church, the people that are part of God's body, the people that are supposed to be the embodiment of Jesus until his return. The Spirit may call us to something more, more than the three things that we talked about today. So I challenge you guys to er listen earnestly to what the Spirit is calling you to do. Maybe it is the three things that we talked about today. Maybe it's something more. Maybe it is um, bringing someone into your house, giving them a place of rest. Maybe it is bringing them food and water. Maybe it is bringing them clothes. Maybe it's visiting the sick or visiting the people in prison. But the Spirit will draw your attention to who it is you need to be present with. And as we close, there's a, there is a reality of church hurt. There is a reality that the people within the body have not always acted in accordance to what Jesus would want us to do. Where we say that Jesus is one way and that we are Jesus, but then we, we don't treat others the way that we say we're supposed to. And on behalf of those people, I, I'm deeply sorry. To know that the people I call my brothers and sisters have not acted in what they say is true. that have brought you hurt and shame more, more unbearable than we can really admit. And if I have been that poor representation as well, I am even more sorry. but I'm asking you to just give the church one more chance and that if you are coming here in search of something different in the church body, this place has treated me very well and I know that they will treat you just as well. Let their love embrace you as it embraced me when I was interning here and as I've been invited back. But let God's love come through through to you again. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, you have called us to something new, something different, something higher, and something di- deeper. You have called us to be an embodiment of yourself. The highest and most mightiest action we can take is to live into that embodiment to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be the love and compassion that you first showed the world. So that until you return and the dead are raised back to life and creation is is renewed to, to what it's supposed to be, continue to use us, Lord. Let your spirit be in our midst so that we can see who it is that you are calling us to. Let your spirit be among us as well as we we try and recover and heal from the hurt. Let us feel your love and your grace once again. To know that you have never left nor forsaken us. To know that you will always be with us. Lord, use this use this church as a mighty beacon of love and hope in this community of Wapak. Let the people within it radiate your love and your grace. And let us remember that no matter where we are, we can always be who you have called us to be. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you. Uh, Yet again, you've made it through a sermon without objects flying in your direction. (laughs) It's pretty impressive. No, I I appreciate what you've brought. Um, And uh, folks, make it practical. It may not be where you're scheduling once a week to go feed folks at God's storehouse or up in Lima, but it's making the most of every opportunity that's right in front of you. It's right in front of you. And uh, essentially, to sum up his message... Be loved, people, loving people, to Jesus Christ. That's embodying Christ. So, would you would you please stand as we uh, are about to journey to our own places? Um, I was informed that many of you had some difficulty finding a parking space today. Congratulations. <laughs> I'm actually kind of grateful that you struggled a little bit, you know? Uh, so before, before I, I dismiss you, I, I just, for those of you that are, that are regular attenders who often come here, maybe three weeks out of a month or every week, I'm gonna challenge you. If you are able and you're willing would you mind beginning to park on the street? WAPOC, it's part of our culture. You park in the street and you walk to wherever you go. I mean, it, it is our culture, okay? Um, it, it, we're not asking that you do something outside of that, but if you're willing and if you're physically able, would you mind when you come that you be mindful and that you, you park on the street somewhere around here and then you walk in so that those folks who uh, are our guests and They're not really sure where to go or how to get here or that they have at least an open space that they can come in if you're able, if you're physically able. And with that said, thank you for doing that. Really appreciate that. That's very symbolic of loving people. You're preparing for that opportunity. So with that said, hey, would you would you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength this week? And will you love your neighbor as yourself as you go out? You have a wonderful week. We'll see you soon. We love you. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening to the Nas podcast. We hope you were moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you. And that you were moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.